Well, let's get started here. Hello, everybody. My name is Damian Shield, and I'm the Senior Director at the Institute at the Center for Medical Simulation, and I'm the host of the weekly webinars. And this week, we've got an open forum, Ask Anything, with our faculty here at the CMS. We've got an extended community of practice amongst all the faculty and educators, both from CMS, from our affiliates, and uh, other collaborators, and it's always fun to welcome colleagues. I'm gonna propose that we do welcome and introductions and then take questions and comments from the community, things that we are being asked on our courses, things that we're being asked through the registration process, as well as what we're seeing on various listers and social media. And um, that after that, we'll just close up the session with some further opportunities. So uh, before I uh, move on to ask you guys to introduce yourself, I'll just say that this morning we met uh, and had an affiliate summit with most of our affiliates and you see them listed here, the Hospital Virtual Valdecilla, the Hong Kong Academy of Medicine in Hong Kong, the um, Matter Education in Brisbane, Australia, the Extra at RWTH Aachen, IMEPAC, which Enrique uh, is representing. They're from Araguari in Minas Gerais, Brazil. And finally, the University of Liege Care Center for Medical Simulation. And uh, Chris, you lead that program. And uh, you, I thought you just did a great job getting everyone together. Um, and so I look forward for you, your introduction and for you to uh, help everyone get to know that program a bit better. Thanks. So, um, uh, I'll just complete my own introduction. As uh, many of you know, I'm uh, originally from Argentina. I'm an emergency physician at Brigham Women's Hospital, and, but my primary role is here at the Center for Medical Simulation, um, leading the program on faculty development. So we do courses in Boston internationally and online. That'll be a big topic today to help uh, clinicians, educators, and leaders continuously improve and be ready to take care of patients and to train others, uh, implement simulation and experiential learning, and uh, get to do it with this wonderful team. Mary Fay, my partner in this. I, I don't want to say in crime because then I would be liable. So uh, I, I've been watching all that. I've been watching the hearings on TV, so I, I know not to answer uh, specifically. So I would say, um, I don't recall whether or not there was a crime, and I'll hand off to you, Mary, for uh, for an introduction. There probably was a crime at some point, Damien. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, as Damien said, he and I have been working together now for several years. Um, I'm currently the Senior Director for Teaching and Learning at the Center for Medical Simulation, and I think what that means is anything course-related sort of comes to me which is exciting for me. And it certainly has been an interesting time since March as the whole world and especially the world of teaching has turned upside mm -hmm. down. So we've been innovating like crazy, leaning on each other, learning from each other, depending on each other. And it's been an interesting and exciting time. And um, so I'm happy to be here this morning, happy to answer your questions and talk about um, some of the questions that have come up in previous courses um, around issues that, that people have found challenging. So happy to be here this morning. Thank you, Professor Fay, and always fun to have an interprofessional stage. So for those of you who don't know, Mary's a uh, critical care nurse, 
by background and uh, does a lot of work in leading the nursing profession in, in its ways. So welcome, Mary. Enrique. Hello. It's my pleasure. My name is Enrique. I'm from Brazil. I'm from Imepac in Araguari, Minas Gerais. I am a physician by background. And at this moment, I, my current role is coordinator of the medical course. And I'm part of the board of our SIM center, which is the biggest one in Latin America. So we have a, 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 lot, a lot of things to do. So it's my pleasure to, to be here and participate in this webinar. And this affiliation has helped and will help a lot in our, uh, not only in our medical course, but also in our uh, university hospital, uh, which is under construction. So my pleasure. Yeah, I loved so much of what you presented this morning and he got to the to the affiliate group. And so uh, if you don't mind, I'll be asking you to return to some of those stories because I think our broader audience would also really enjoy that. Okay, great. Chris. Yes, hello, my name is Chris Rusin. Uh, I'm a senior director for education leadership and international programs at the Center for Medical Simulation. I get to work with all of our affiliate hospitals and the great people there. Um, and affiliate simulation programs, um, including Enrique's uh, team at IMAPAC. Um, it gives me a really amazing view into both healthcare and simulation around the world. Um, I am, by training, a PhD organizational behaviorist and social psychologist. So that's a lot of how I see the world. I think about how people work together and how people relate together, uh, how we learn and how that impacts our well-being and how that impacts our performance. Uh, what else? I like to use humor in my work and uh, love to work in teams with these great colleagues at CMS. And I like to uh, use geeky theory in my work. And so Chris, I, I would just add that in a humorous way, but I would just add that I was uh, listening to you this morning and I it just dawned on me that you are like the adaptive leader incarnate so you've been kind of giving us names and structures and putting things in front of us that uh, have been there uh, but you have this ability to put them there for the taking in a really practical way and uh, give us the tools and toolkits to do our work better so it's uh, such a pleasure um, thank you i feel like there's an anniversary party to be to be had and um, thank you so much for your leadership I, um, I'll be coordinating uh, this panel presentation. I'd like to welcome uh, those of you who are joining us live. Please uh, help yourself to the Q&A uh, question and answers function on this uh, electronic platform. I would love for you to introduce yourselves there and let us know where you're joining from and what is on your mind, because that is really our main purpose. This weekly webinar series has been going on uh, for a number of months and really aims to serve your needs and to remain connected with you internationally. There are lots of programs that get recorded and archived that are now available, um, whether it's um, keynote grand round style presentations or uh, panels or our newest innovation, which is Meet the Author, uh, where we interview 
colleagues and friends who have published recent papers, those are all gonna remain available there. And um, we're always looking to make that even more useful. So let us know uh, if you have an idea of what we could be uh, presenting for you. So um, we'll get started by uh, going to the open forum and, and turning to your questions. I think what I, you know, as uh, Ann Mullen, who's here in the background and I appreciate her help hosting the session here, um, as her and I have been curating the questions as they've come in, as people register and um, from other various sources, we've noticed that a lot of the questions continue to be around, what do we do during COVID? What do we do after COVID? How do we think of ourselves? So um, without a specific question here, I just wanted to turn it to the panel here, and he can marry and Chris, to ask you, how are you experiencing the, your work, the curriculum design, the adaptive leadership, the designing of new education and health systems in these times? And I'd love to go around hearing uh, what you're learning about these days. I think one thing that's being tested these days is um, the efficiency of our curriculum development efforts. I think as I, you know, we're talking about COVID right now, but it's really about anything that requires um, kind of just-in-time uh, curriculum and delivery of, of courses. And so as I interact with these um, various partner hospitals of ours around the world, and also as I read on the internet and um, talk to lots of people, if, if, if a simulation program does not have in place an efficient way to partner up and create curriculum and then deliver curriculum, then um, that program is outside of the COVID response and outside of the COVID preparation effort. And that's, that's very, very unfortunate. So those hospitals and those simulation programs that do have a rapid way to develop develop curriculum are the ones that are getting the best value in this moment out of their simulation programs. Yeah, some of the discussion has been around, is the SIM program and its personnel essential or non-essential? Mm. And they've been, and I think SIM programs have, gained, have gotten that label from the outside. And Chris, what you're saying in a way is hitting me and to say, don't let them tell you whether or not you're essential. You decide. You are. If you decide your work in this organization is essential, then you're essential, and uh, that's uh, up to us. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You know, Damian, I think one of the big pushes that that we've made, and uh, one of the big struggles that I see so many universities are having, is the, the move to online learning. And so I think that was probably. Um, it was a big decision for the Center for Medical Simulation um, because our course is so well known as a transformational learning experience. And I think all of us involved in the course really believed that it was that in-person connection that was a huge part of it. And so, you know, we were faced with this decision to either stop offering our courses or figure out a way to do it online. And, you know, just because we are passionate about the work we do and we, we believe so strongly in the work that we do, we decided to take take the plunge and do it online. And all of us really as a team spent a lot of time thinking about how do we forge that connection 
online with people in a way that can be as personal and as satisfying as it was in person. And we, of course, did a lot of reading, um, you know, applied the theoretical framework um, that was appropriate to online learning. And I think that a couple of factors, you know, careful attention to curriculum design, as Chris just mentioned, but also just the commitment of the faculty to be really present in a personal way when we teach online has made all the difference in the world. And um, we actually are also doing courses just to help people teach online. You know, in addition to having moved our, our flagship course online, we're also doing courses to help people learn how to make those connections online. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, well, and Hike was actually in one of our courses in our teach online course. We worked with the faculty at the, uh, at the Sim Center at IMAPAC. And so I think that was probably one of our, our biggest challenges. And I'd also like to think one of our greatest successes was figuring out how do you make those human connections online in the same way that we do in person. Yeah, Mary, you have this great uh, keynote that uh, you did, part of it you did with us here on being a reluctant scholar, which uh, um, I, you know, in parallel, I, I feel like you were quite reluctant to get online. And so I was wondering if you might share kind of what have been some surprises like you used to think, well, you know, what worried you and what has been joyful and surprising? Yeah, yeah. thanks, Damien. I, I, I think the thing that worried me the most was that I wanted the participants to leave the online course having that same kind of transformation that they had in the in-person course. And that transformation comes primarily through the participants own self-reflection guided by the faculty and in order for that to happen they have to trust us we have to know them because people who come to our course even though it's the same curriculum it's a very personal five-day journey and so i think they were probably my biggest concerns and my relux my reluctance to put the course online probably stemmed from the fact that I didn't have enough experience doing it myself online, so I didn't have the confidence that it could really happen. And then, you know, over the years, we've done more and more online at CMS, and so that um, sort of allowed me to build my confidence that we could do it. But then when COVID hit, we all ended up online. And I think about, Chris, I think about some of those early innovations we did with Circle Up, and, you know, our ability to connect as a faculty to do that important work, but also as we started to do the webinars, um, seeing the reactions of, of the people that came to the webinars and then subsequently helping them um, figure out how they were going to do Circle Up. I think that was probably, I just had to experience it. I had to feel it for myself. I had to see it in the people that we were working with. And then I really believed that it could happen. Um, you know, and the biggest surprise to me was that I think the online course, the in-person course are equivalent. Um, and that was really a big surprise to me. And, and now it, you know, now it opens up the world to people who may never be able to come to Boston to come to one of our courses. Now there's no travel involved. And I, I think that's what's so satisfying to me is I feel like we can reach more people in the same meaningful way now. There's so many, we were talking about the, 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 the term happy accident as we were preparing for this conversation and really kind of necessity is the mother of invention, you know, and we've experienced a lot of that as an organization recently. Enrique, I think about Enrique's challenges. Enrique, you've been developing a medical course and you've, out of necessity, you need to develop it. You need to have it ready for the students. And, and this is the environment that you're developing it in. 
Um, how, has, how has it felt for you to innovate in, in, in this moment? Well, the pandemic was a, a big strike. So we had to innovate in our online classes because uh, every single class went to online. So we had many faculty skilled in in-person teaching. So they had to acquire in a few days or weeks many skills for the online environment. So we had to, to know about the system, about the connection, many things. So it was very difficult for some faculty. And when Mary and you suggested the online course, it could help this a lot. On one hand, we, we had this question of online. On the other one, we had the internship, which, which was presential because the last two years of medical course in Brazil, they, they were uh, in the fight against COVID-19. So we had to reinvent ourselves, reinvent our curricula. To, to bring the preparation for COVID uh, pandemic. So we had to prepare our SIM center for our interns. So we had two main uh, dimensions in this regard. And looking back uh, on March, uh, I can see a lot of uh, innovation and I can see we, we grow five years in six months. So mm. being very, rewarding uh, to see how many faculty, how many times people are working together. We have a community of practice to, to support each other because it's been a, a difficult moment. Sometimes a person has a, a diagnosis of COVID-19 or in a family member. So we have to support this person when we have all the, the learning process running so it's very challenging i think um it, it's easy to be paralyzed in in those moments and i think there's a you know really congratulations for for thrusting into action and um, i think like for us having a clear goal like mary mentioned offering the same experience the same outcomes online as opposed to in person. I think that's been a really good guidance. Same for you, solving those problems. Um, I think the focus, you know, if you think of teaching online, you could either focus on the online or focus on the teaching. The same with designing curricula online, you could focus on the designing curricula or on the online. I think from our collective experience, minding the online and leveraging the benefits of it and managing the potential cost of it, but really focusing on the outcomes. And I, um, I think that's been very helpful and many of these stories do that. I think there's some hesitation, you know, will the transitioning programs to online put simulation on a weaker footing? Will, are we disrupting ourselves by embracing online and I think if in the past we asked what can be done online now now we're asking like mm, what actually needs to be done by sim and I think it could reduce our quality or damage our reputation 
Any thoughts on that, Chris? Such a great question. I, I think we are going to have to um, deal with our um, anxieties. We're going to have to deal with our, our greatest insecurities about such things. And we're going to have to boldly develop programs that work for this moment and that are the best programs for this moment that we can develop. And then we're going to have to see what shakes out and what we keep when, when the world changes, maybe back to something that it used to look like. Although I have no big bets on that. Um, maybe maybe deal with our narcissism too, that like simulation yeah. is just the greatest thing since, since sliced bread. Maybe Damien, you know, some of the wisest, I've only been in simulation now for a little over six years. And when I came to simulation, Actually, one of my big thoughts was, why are all these people saying the word simulation so often? You know, <laughs> I mean, I know I'm in a simulation program, but I'm just hearing this word simulation all the time. And um, isn't it really just a way to train, a very powerful way to train? Isn't it a set of technologies? Isn't it one way to get people to engage and develop and interact? And I think what we're finding out now and it's really because I was an outsider. And then of course I became totally trained to think as a simulationist. But I think what we're finding out now is that um, clinicians need to get ready. Hospitals need to get ready. Medical schools need to get students ready to do things. And simulation of course plays an important role in that. Great dynamic conversations play a role in that. And and other learning processes. And of course, there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing better when you're learning a skill than practicing that skill with your hands, right? So that has to happen sometimes. But we're seeing so many examples of, um, it doesn't have to be like what we thought it had to be. It can be something else. And at we do, as you know, we advise Mass General Hospital and we help build programs at Mass General Hospital. And we're just, not to get into specifics, but, we are finding that we can have amazing ways of developing teams, improving teams, exploring teamwork online with Zoom. And sometimes we're able to have deeper, better conversations. Sometimes we're able to reach a broader audience. Sometimes we're able to get higher quality of attention and engagement and interaction with the tools that we've been forced to use. So there's some really happy accidents of innovation that are occurring right now. So we do teamwork as opposed to we do sim for teamwork. And so if you take out the sim, you can then release yourself from being a sim program and just being a training program. Um, love what you're saying, Chris. I would just add to the analogy of like with your hands. I think one of the things that has been really powerful and I've been influenced greatly by Mary and you as well is to always remember that it's hands and heart and mind and that almost like three legs of the stool and if we don't pay attention to each of them whether it's medical student and trustable professional activities or practicing clinicians or uh, readiness for you know graduating from nursing school and entering practice if we don't deal with all three hands heart and mind then something's going to be missing and um I don't know what to call that or kind of how to clarify the, the role of experiential learning to do that. But to me, that's, that's where the value is. And to Mary's earlier point, like that's where connecting and being in the teaching and learning relationship is 
comes together for me. And so I'm not, I'm, ha I'm not surprised and I'm quite happy of the success you're uh, sharing here, Chris, about what you've been able to do at MGH in, yeah. this, in this platform. What, I think what Chris is highlighting also with, with his comments here is what we've always believed at the Center for Medical Simulation, which is that simulation is not about the equipment and it's not about the technology, it's about the reflective learning. And it's about the growth that comes from it. And I think it's one thing that we found, and this is especially um, pertinent, uh, Damien, for the project that we're doing for the Mass General Hospital Institute for Health Professions, came to us and said, we've got all these nurse practitioner and PA students and we've got to get them through their clerkship so that they can graduate. Can you please help us? And so we're, we're working on a big project with them now to get their learners through a good chunk of their clerkships using online simulation. And it's kind of interesting because we're spending a lot more time thinking about how do we create sims that really you know, stimulate their critical thinking skills and, and teach them scientific decision-making. And we're not spending that much time thinking about like the room, the equipment, the setup. What's the timeline for the simulation? And so there's almost been a regrounding for me in some ways in why do we do simulation? Oh, right, it's so that we can help team members connect with each other and communicate in meaningful ways that are better for our patients. It's about reflective learning skills so that we're building reflective practitioners who can't just carry out tasks, but who can sort of self-assess their own performance through that metacognitive learning that happens in debriefing. And so it's been really a nice sort of refocusing about what are we trying to achieve with simulation. That's a serious opportunity because what are we trying to achieve with clinical training? Mm -hmm. Because I think old pre-COVID way was, okay, clinical training, go to the clinical setting and learn to do what people do there. Mm -hmm. And and then when we built sim, pro, sim centers, we just replicated that bad system that people had to work in and even made caricatures of it and showed it in this idealized, not quite perfect way and then had people work there with limited supplies, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But now, instead of just saying, go learn healthcare, you're saying, okay, what is it that people need to learn and how do we create those, that essential learning progression get people through the sim zones. Um, so I think this is, this is certainly an opportunity that I think is built on the you know, key landmark studies to say you can replace clinical education with sim, mm -hmm. but it, and with, you know, when people are trained and there's a curriculum, but it didn't quite show the mechanism. And I think that's the opportunity now is to say like, what is gonna be the readiness plan for healthcare training? And, and he could, Chris mentioned that you're deep into that, that your medical school is rewriting itself and also preparing a new generation of students. So I thought what you presented earlier was so cool and would love to give you an opportunity here to share again um, a bit more about what you're doing with the SIM program and the clinical learning in your at IMPAC. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we I presented early this morning uh, two main focus. One is uh, faculty development using SIM zones, and the other one is a project for our med students called the Simulated Ward. Can I share my screen? 
I hope so. And if you can't, we'll ask Anne to give you that permission. Okay. Can you see my screen? Yeah, perfect. Okay. So in this project we called uh, simulated board and we have a, a name for it. It's a simulated university hospital. And uh, we have some premises in this project. So this project is uh, Simpson based. So we'll use Simpson 0, 1, and 2. And uh, our cases are linked to EPAs, Interestable Professional Activities. And uh, we'll use concepts of peer-to-peer -peer learning, uh, incorporation of mastery learning concepts. And uh, we have a common blueprint for each case. So if you have a heart failure case or a pneumonia case, there is a common blueprint. And uh, in every shift, so when the students come to our uh, ward, we have a shift of four to five hours. So during this shift, they, there is at least one critical event, such as a resuscitation in a patient. So we can manage the, the team. So we can work with price resource management principles and incorporate these concepts and apply these concepts in situations. So in our project, we have a rotation of groups. So uh, one week, the group will uh, resuscitate the patient, the mannequin, and the next week, this group will watch other group doing the same. So it's a way to, to redo, redo, and uh, reframe to, to try to improve the, the outcome because we want to improve patient safety. And uh, when we incorporate these concepts, we, we are building and leverage competence and entrustment in our med students. And uh, we will send these uh, concepts to our university hospital. So we, we want to, to have physicians, students uh, linked in the same page of uh, this project. And uh, another important aspect, we will introduce the concept of briefing, the briefing and peer support during the, the, the shift. So we can implement some tools to incorporate the circle up in, the, in our university hostel, so, which is very, very exciting for the project. So I'd like to, to to pass to Mary or Chris to talk more about Circle Up because I think it's quite interesting. Mary, go ahead. For sharing that. Yeah. I have only one another slide before the Circle Up, sorry. Because we have a matrix for, for our simulated board. So this is not intended to be read by you because it's important. So it's a pneumonia case, and we have learning objectives for each day of this uh, shift or this ward. And we have all the EPAs uh, linked to, to the project. Uh, we have methodological materials and technological equipment we, we need for this. And we use uh, standardized patients for uh, parts of our project. So 
that students can have different uh, uh, aspects of different EPAs uh, and we can work to try to, to build and to help them to build competences to, to gather this in EPA. So I think it's quite uh, exciting to, to have this project. That's really nice because you're giving them this longitudinal experience where they can really have a relationship and build the rapport, which is just not easy to do in kind of single session uh, type activities, which, you know, I, would, I used to think, oh, well, an advantage of the clinical space is that they have this kind of like multi-day experience, but now you've created that on the simulated award, so that's very nice. You know, quite, I think quite novel. One of the other really cool things about what Enrique's doing there is because all of the faculty are approaching simulations the same way, there's a common template, it's tied to the EPAs, the learners, they come to know how to learn in simulation, which is actually pretty important. You know, to have inconsistency in how simulation cases are created or how faculty deliver them, it increases the cognitive load for your learners because they have to spend time wondering what is the simulation going to be like? What do they want me to do? What will debriefing be like? And you've really taken care of a lot of that in Hike because your students now have a consistent experience and they understand what the ultimate objectives are of the program. And I think that kind of consistency frees up a lot of their cognitive capacity to just focus on the learning because they don't have to worry about the administration of the program because you've taken care of all of that. And I think that's actually really important and I know I saw that when I was at the University of Maryland that by the time they were seniors they could practically debrief themselves because mm -hmm. they knew what we were going to be talking about they knew how we were going to be talking about it. they knew how we explored different ideas and I think mm -hmm. it's so important and that kind of consistency in your program is going to pay off I think in the long run I think one of the cool things in that regard too is that you've incorporated circle up into the work of the ward, which really builds a link. And I think too many SIM programs are disconnected from the reality. And, and the learners critique us for this all the time, like, well, that's not how really it works. You know, so the fact that, but here you're, you're expecting or helping people brief, debrief, check in, which is what you're hoping for in the hospital once you build it. So I think that's, um, that's really great. And I think that's been kind of one of the pitfalls of us sim folk thinking of ourselves as sim folk is that we've only really thought of our uh, space where we, the space we're impacting as the sim programs and we're hoping for a downstream effect. And um, Chris, you, you showed some slides talking about rethinking the role of the sim program. Not, not that you should show the slides, but I was wondering if you might if we might re-enter that conversation, because I'd like to see if we could take it at least one step f further to, because for me, so the basic premise, I'll just, I won't bury the lead. The basic premise that I heard it, Chris, is that we should think of our work as the patient care, making patient care experience great is what the SIM program should be all about. And, and there's a, kind of narrative around that, that I'm still trying to develop for why we should be even worried about that, working on that. I mean, like 
who are we to know anything about that? I'm an educator. I, my master's is in education. My interest is in people and learning. And, um, you know, you're asking me to think about the hospital as, as, as where I should be focused. So what's that about? What is that about? <laughs> that's, that's such a good question. Um, well, you know, Damien, something I compare it to is, you know, the idea of the liberal arts education, right? Versus a master's education or versus a trade school. Um, in a liberal arts education, you go to a college and you trust them that they developed a curriculum that can potentially provide some value to your life. You take a number of courses and your parents say, what are you, what's happening in your college? What am I paying for? The classics, the arts. Yeah, right. Uh, let me tell you about 14th century, you know, you name it. And um, Byzantine art and its portrayal yeah. of women in the workplace. Now, as developmental as a lot of that is, <laughs> let's compare that basic experience to what we're trying to do in simulation programs and centers that are trying to benefit, well, that are trying to exist and thrive. Simulation programs and centers are trying to sustain themselves often. Um, and is, is that an illogical way to think? Well, it's important because these are organizations often within other organizations. Um, so the sim program is a sub-organization of a hospital or a sub-organization of a, of a medical school or a nursing school. So it's natural for that organization's leader to think, how can we survive? Um, but I think what's happened is that simulation has grown up around sim programs and centers that exist separately from other things, from other entities. And they're often um, working in their silo, in their vacuum, and partnering in very limited ways. And, and as a result, are offering programs in a way that's not efficient enough, not at the rhythm of the organization that hopefully they're serving and often not providing optimized programs to help. And so we really want to be closer to that, to that um, HVAC trade school <laughs> um, or, or other schools that are, that are training you in exactly what you need to use. And ultimately the simulation program shouldn't be upstream, downstream or any other stream away from patient care. It should be in the stream of patient care. Um, just just to, to examine some of the vocabulary that we use, and I often say upstream and downstream too, but when you said it right there, Damien, it really combined with the other things you said, it really made me think. It's practice that gets clinicians ready to take care of patients should be closely connected with the care of patients. It should be customized such that it's the right, the right rehearsal, the right training to prepare that clinician. And there should be a, a sequence of training and, and development over time that optimally gets individuals and teams ready to take care of patients in the best possible ways. That means simulation. I'm is so into this. I'm just so into this, Chris. Like, so like the heating repair person, hmm. they're not just cleaning out the filter. They're helping you heat your house. The mechanic isn't like increasing your horsepower. It's, helping you get to work. And so, and if we, and so we need to accurately represent the SIM program, not as the creator of simulations, but the supporter of work in the hospital. I, that, that's helping me. 
Yeah, great. And it helps me too to think this way. And, and um, as much as I say it, it's also an adjustment. Um, it's very natural for us to think about our sub-organizations as the center of the universe. And really in hospitals, we need to be thinking about the core priorities of the hospital or the med school or the nursing school or other organizations and how simulation partners up to assist, to help, to facilitate, to be an enzyme, to create the right reactions such that the core purpose of the, of the primary organization is happening well. And through that, simulation programs will thrive. They may change their organizational form a little bit. They may have different leadership. They may have different partnerships. They may be located in different places, probably closer to the hospital or in the hospital as opposed to in a center eight miles from the hospital. And I think that's, that's, our, that's our progression in this moment. Well, and you know, Chris, I think, it, you know, as you talk about the, the partnership, for a lot of simulation programs, I think that's going to be essential to their survival. And it makes me think of the new curriculum when we took the course online, we actually reshaped the curriculum to focus the whole course on helping educators see simulation programs as essentially problem solvers. Mm. It can't just be, I want to do a simulation about acute MIs because I think they're cool, but rather tight partnerships with quality and safety people to solve real problems so you can show a return on investment. And, you know, we're talking a lot about hospitals, I, you know, my simulation experience is from the academic world, but the same is true in the academic world. It can't just be, let's do this in because I think it's cool, but rather you need to partner with the clinical faculty, the course faculty, maybe even the units that your students go to or the people who hire your students to figure out where are the weaknesses in our curriculum? What can we do in simulation that will be additive in a meaningful way to really prepare our students for practice. And again, that's where readiness planning comes in. Let's think about what does a new nurse or a new doctor have to be able to do when they hit the wards after they've graduated from school. And by really partnering to solve real problems that can show some sort of a return on investment, I think simulation programs will put themselves in a position where they can thrive and grow. And those simulation programs that aren't really tied to solving real problems, I think are going to flounder because they won't have the support that they need from the administration of either their school or their hospital. It's it's in a way paradoxical, I think, and and diff and countercultural and challenging because this partnership proposal asks us to dump our narcissism and think of ourselves as servant, truly as servant leaders, as opposed to as protagonists. If you think of the simulation educator as protagonist, then all you talk about is sim. If you think of it as, huh? I said, like, what I want to do. Yeah, and what, you know, what's your value? You show your value through your contribution. But if you think of it as servant leadership partner, um, then I think, it, you know, we're in this um, supportive space where we can have a key role because it leads to the organizational priorities even though we don't have the spotlight per se on the widgets we're creating. So um, I, I think this is a challenge for us to adapt this way and um, wondering kind of what the mantras are. Uh, I think, you know, one of them is like, what problem am I solving? Why am I doing this? And, um, and I think the, the other thing that helps me recently is 
just thinking about the interconnections uh, between the schools and the hospitals that, that you know, prof even though it's professional school, it's also trade school to like readiness for the next level. So if in pre-clerkship, it's readiness for clerkship and clerkship, it's readiness for residency. In residency, it's readiness for independent practice. And I think those are the, having those interconnections helps me um, get unstuck from, oh, they just need to learn the curriculum. Hmm. Damien, I'm, I'm so inspired by um, professional sports organizations. And it's not just because I like sports. I actually like watching certain sports less and less, but I become more and more fascinated with the differences between professional sports organizations. And the differences that I'm talking about are the ones related to learning and development that prepares the team to either succeed in a game or in a performance or not. And I'm, I find this real consistency as I look at successful organizations and people might love or hate these organizations like, but, but the football team in Barcelona, the football club in Barcelona, the American football team here in New England, um, what you see are really rigorous systems of learning and uh, learning of core skills, even at the professional level. Yes, you're a professional. Yes, you're one of the best in the world, but we are going to train and practice core skills every day. The kind of things that children learn, we are going to work on them in our practices. We are also going to identify the situational competencies that are essential to winning in this sport. And we are going to isolate them and practice them over and over and over again, such that our team is better prepared for these situations than the opponent. And also being good at talking both before and after games, such that we're learning and we're squeezing all of the learning from all of the players, not just the coaches, from all of the players. And we're, we're incorporating that in the way that we play. And those elements are really hard. As it turns out, not every professional sports organization is good at doing those things or good at doing a program of those things. It's only the really excellent ones. And Damien, I'm really in, a, in an indirect way addressing your point, which is where's the role for the uh, narcissism, you know, might be too much, but the self-concern, the personal pursuit, it's really, really hard to do these things, particularly in healthcare. So the people that are able to infuse these routines, these practices, and these programs of learning and get them close to patient care, these are somewhat heroic people. They're really creative people. They're persistent people. They know how to navigate the hospital, the med school, the nursing school, all these places with these deep embedded routines and to infuse these new routines of learning. I, I think also another key place might be in advising in terms of choices and priorities because there, you know, you could be overwhelmed with how many situations there are and how different those skills are and how many learners you have. And, the, you know, the, really, frankly, there's just not enough time to do everything. And so, you know, potentially a, another key place to add value is, is to bring the science of learning, the evidence that is out there uh, to help people not reinvent uh, and just adapt curricula when they exist. So I certainly see a, 
a key collaborative role of this of the I don't even want to call it the sim center or the sim program we need that's where we need the adaptive leadership Chris here to 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 rename to rename and not just rebrand but rename the work we're doing um, and have a narrative for it because I, I know I certainly need, you know need that going forward you know what I also love I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to my colleagues here I love the lobby of Boston Children's Hospital, which I did my training for building training in hospitals. Um, Peter Weinstock recruited me over to Boston Children's Hospital to be the education director of the SIM program. And what motivated me was I would walk through the lobby of Boston Children's Hospital, or I could go to any department I wanted and kind of see patients and interact with patients and clinicians. But just, I think everyone should, should, should train in a pediatric hospital, especially one with a lot of acute um, illness, because it's just so compelling to do the optimal things to help these children. And they are just, you know, children are beautiful and children are um, universally kind of wonderful and great causes and, and pure and innocent. And um, it was a really inspirational way for me to get to the idea that I didn't just want to be doing simulation, I wanted to be doing something that impacted patient care. And I also wanted to be doing something that impacted the psychological well-being of the clinicians that were trying to help these children. And I, I think in, a, in hospitals that have all ages or mostly adults in them, there's less of that pure vision. It's, it's more of the jaded nature of society. <laughs> I'm saying this as an outsider. This was my interaction with it all. And, but that pediatric environment was so inspirational and, and part of my inspiration to, it's part of why I think about SIM programs the way that I do. When, when you think in this aspect, one thing that struck me a lot is the, the culture of the organization. When you have this kind of readiness plan and you read about the very successful performance sports teams, they, they create a culture, so this culture is quite important to, to move forward and they have this identity, so I think we, we have to bring this to the healthcare to create this culture and to, to create an environment of well-being for professionals because it's a tough time for healthcare professionals, so we have to support them. Um, we're coming down to the end of the hour here. Um, I'd like to uh, pose a couple of questions that uh, a topic that's coming from the live audience and uh, get your thoughts. So um, the idea is that medical, that we could think about solving problems beyond the medical center. So, you know, we, we focused on patient care, but this participant anonymous attendee is helping us expand even more broadly and say, hey, and I'm editorializing, there's a lot going on in the world beyond patient care. Hey, there's uh, law enforcement and uh, criminal activity, mental health, other social issues. And so, you know, should we look beyond the hospital as a, a place for collaborating for sources, for, for sources of funding and for our role? So thoughts on that. Hospitals are important institutions in every community, as are law enforcement. 
uh, folks in every community. And so I think I love the idea of partnering with other community organizations to improve the health of the whole community. And can that be done with simulation? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Imagine if we were partnering with law enforcement training um, programs to infuse more simulation. You know, they're experts, they're the content experts in their area, but we can still be the simulation experts. And I think that would be a really interesting partnership that could make the whole community better. Chris and I are in discussion with a um, EMS agency, yeah. uh, emergency medical services, wishing to do lots of outreach, mm -hmm. um, including some uh, social justice work. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, health, you know, healthcare is certainly political. And so you do have an opportunity to impact a lot of aspects of society. I had the good fortune to work with um, firefighters in Barcelona and also the mobile medical teams in Barcelona. There's doctors um, and nurses in ambulances in Barcelona. And um, very satisfying. And, and I was working with these really talented people who were leading up training programs in each of those entities. And so, yeah, these sorts of innovations in, in those worlds I think are really important and, and, and you could make some great gains really, really quickly um, if people are trained up to think in these ways and have access to this kind of curriculum development. It really help. Um, so I'd uh, love to invite you uh, and Hika, Mary and Chris for any final words here, any takeaways? Um, before I uh, take it away to sharing about kind of opportunities that are coming up in our next few sessions. Uh, first, I wanna thank you. I really enjoyed spending time with you and talking all things healthcare, empowerment, leadership, changing the world and some simulation. So um, any takeaways or closing remarks? You know, I, I, it seems like a big theme here or a big takeaway is um, being very clear about your purpose and making sure that that purpose is that simulation is adding real value to whatever organization. That's really what I heard from Crew again and again. Guys? Yeah. For me, my takeaway is COVID has bring many challenges and we, we have faced different moments in this pandemic and we have bring many innovations to the field so we can think outside the box because in a normal time you, you are more prone to stay in the comfort zone so I think this is an opportunity and I think you, you have many benefits besides this problem with the pandemic. I think for me, what I'm taking out of this conversation is how good it feels to innovate with partners, like how much I enjoy working with all three of you to create programs and how, how much better it is to think together than it is to think in that lonely environment. Even if, even if you think of yourself as a person who has a preference of doing things alone, um, that there's tremendous comfort and also just better outcomes associated with finding a way to, to partner up with others, to think together, to, to reach out and, um, 
develop programs with, with the right group of people. Well, thank you again. Uh, next week, we'll be off in terms of our weekly webinars because we have a full course, the Healthcare Simulation Essentials course will be next week and then uh, we'll have another week off um, through the kind of middle of fall here. We'll be back in November on November 4th. We'll have a meet the author session that we'll be announcing shortly. Dr. Sarah Janssen's from our affiliate at Modder. We'll be talking about adaptive leadership in, um, in, the, in the obstetrics realm. And on November 11th, we'll have an Ask Anything session. Uh, that'll be our work in November. In December, I'm excited about a workshop that I'm doing with Janice Palaganis, Up Your Feedback Game. This is directly to the point of how do we get better at giving and getting feedback? It's a two-hour appetizer to a more extensive longitudinal training because why? Because we really care about learning that's happening in all of our workplaces. That is what shapes our culture and uh, gives us joy. We um, are about, we're announcing Teach Online, Engage with Confidence, new dates in the new year. We've got our essentials course every month and we still have available seats for November and December and the Dash Raider training workshop, which is a peer faculty development uh, session that I highly recommend for anyone wishing to get further in debriefing. Mary and I, the rest of the team, we are available uh, to partner with your organization. So you have a short consult or a, a multi-week engagement. We'd love to chat about it, do a needs assessment and see how we can collaborate. So please uh, connect with us directly, either through our website or on Twitter. Um, you can reach us there. And uh, I hope that, uh, that, you, uh, that you do stay in touch and that we see you back here in November and uh, or wherever you are in the meantime. Thank you again, Mary, Chris, and Henrique for uh, being here and for uh, getting us here and everyone else for your time and attention. Thanks. Always a pleasure.